0: Beautiful people, and welcome to Unlocked, a podcast focusing on all mental health and identity-related topics through the Caribbean lens. I'm your host, Audrey Augustov, Haitian American and Licensed Counselor. Hello everybody. I don't know about you, but I've had several friends throughout the years that suffer from health issues that come with serious complications that I've struggled to understand. Not that I didn't want to, but simply because there are some aspects of life that can only be understood from the first-hand perspective. Such is the case for polycystic ovarian syndrome, more commonly referred to as PCOS. PCOS is a hormonal condition in women characterized by irregular or no menstrual periods, acne, obesity, excess hair growth, fatigue, excess pain, and or fertility issues. On episode 2 of Unlocked, I sat with Amani Matherin, a journalist and writer from the island of St. Lucia. Amani currently runs her own blog, Writings on the Wall, which she uses as a medium to discuss sensitive issues affecting women and young people in particular. She currently holds a BA in media and international development and dreams of someday distinguishing herself as a filmmaker who explores issues around culture, race, gender, and migration and how they shape the lives of Caribbean people. I learned a lot from Amani about the toll that PCOS has on her mental health and interpersonal relationships. Take a listen. Hi, Amani. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for showing up. How are you doing today?
1: Really good. I had a really great day of self-care, so I feel really good.
0: That's nice. That's nice. I think for me, I'm feeling uh, ready to end my day. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day of productivity, so I feel good, but also like wanting to be in bed. Okay, <laughs> hey, I, I know that feeling. <laughs> okay, so can you start off by telling me a little bit about what the PCOS experience means to you, right? So not as far as the general definition by the book but like when you identify yourself as somebody that that has PCOS like what is that experience like?
1: I think the first word I'd use to describe it is confusing (laughs) because I think it's so many things happening at the same time and it's sometimes very hard to wrap your mind around all the changes that you're feeling so there's a lot of physical aspects to it like getting used to your body changing a lot there's like For me, I've suffered with weight gain and constantly being exhausted. So there's these challenges and there's also the emotional side of it where I constantly, I feel like I get stuck in a depressive cycle. So for example, I get depressed about my weight. Then I get depressed about not having the energy to exercise, to lose the weight. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you're in a cycle of who am I? What can I do to make this experience not as difficult? Because I think, the, one of the most important things is there's not really a cure. So it's more you getting used to understanding the lifestyle changes and learning what works for you to kind of lessen the side effects in a sense.
0: Is there any particular side effect that you identify as being the hardest one for you to manage?
1: I think it would be the fatigue because I have a demanding job as well. And you know, you have your demanding personal lives and responsibilities. So for me, I always feel like towards the afternoon, I get very, very tired. And when I tell people I'm tired, they brush it off like, you know, everybody's tired. But I constantly try to explain that it's not your usual tiredness. It feels like I'm completely drained, like I have absolutely nothing left to give. Even if I haven't had like a day that's full of physical activity or anything like that, I could be doing nothing. And I could still just feel that burnout. Sometimes even first thing in the morning, I wake up and I feel completely drained.
0: Mm. You know, when, when I imagine what it must be like to be a journalist, right, I imagine a life of kind of always being on, not only if you're in front of the camera, but even having a level of notoriety that requires being mindful of how you present yourself even if you're not on the clock, right? And so when I think about like the duality of living that life and struggling with constant fatigue, it feels almost that much more stressful to have, like like there's a a need for you to become like an actress in how you function in your life. Can you... Highlight that, like the demands of journalism specifically and how that impacts the relationship with fatigue.
1: I feel like you're right. It's almost like you you can't let yourself seem too tired because I think people want you to just do the news and do it well. Nobody really cares about what's going on in your personal life. Once you can get the news out at 8 o'clock sharp and it's a good newscast, that's all that matters. So for me... I feel like I've gotten really good at, I wouldn't say pretending I'm not tired, but just powering through it. And, you know, just being encouraged by the fact that the day is going to be over soon and I can get to go home and rest. But I try not to show it too much. I try not to complain too much, especially. And I think being a reporter as well, you interact with a lot of different people. So that also sometimes takes a lot of energy in trying Mm -hmm. to always be, I wouldn't say upbeat, but, you know, always kind of coming across positive and being nice to people that you meet because you never know who you might come across. So for me, it's like as much as I'm exhausted, I have to focus on putting out the best work that I can and making anybody that I meet to interview, making them feel comfortable, showing that face like, you know, everything's okay and we're all good. So you're right. It is a lot of, I'd say, acting on a day to day basis.
0: Right. You know, um I follow you on Twitter and it's funny, I never identified like what I do as a counselor as being closely related to journalism. And I don't know why, because there's such a similarity in terms of the the constant communication with people. And so it, it is it is pretty um I don't know, emotionally taxing. It's more than like the physical, right? It's it's there yeah. is like a spiritual draining of Especially, I can imagine, like, with depending on the nature of the story that you're covering, if if there's a particular heartfelt component to it, that it would drain you more spiritually. Definitely.
1: I feel like that with a lot of because I mean, we cover almost everything, but sometimes, you know, there's the things that you almost always have to cover, like crime and violence, and even human interest stories. When you meet people with some really sad stories, and you feel like you kind of it's kind of hard to separate yourself because obviously you would separate yourself on a professional level because you're a, prof- a professional, sorry. But at the end of the day, you're still human and you take all of these things in and you're carrying that energy around with you. So it does feel very heavy sometimes. Hmm. So And I think what makes it a lot more difficult for me is that I also struggle with anxiety and depression. So I think when you put all of these things together, sometimes it just feels like, a jumble of emotions.
0: Mm, You know, uh, that's, I was actually going to get into that. Um, I actually had a friend that had PCOS. We're not close anymore. Um, And so I was reading your blog about managing mood swings. And I think about the history that I have with this friend because I struggled a lot with what felt like her reactivity and like the inability to gauge what energy I'm walking into if I'm initiating contact with her. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I know that I was patient, um, but I also know that it did reach a point where I felt like this isn't fair to me, even though mm-hmm. there's that there's two ideas of fair like there's your fair because of what you struggle with and then there's my affair because i actually didn't do anything for you to be like kind of this short with me um mm. and so i'm kind of wondering like how how much grace should people have to offer you like what what is fair in being a person in your life uh and showing up for you while also showing up for themselves
1: that is a very tough question. Wow. I thought I was the journalist here, but okay. <laughs> wow. Now I know what it feels like when somebody throws a question at you. <laughs> um, I think it's funny because I've been thinking about these things myself a lot lately, like evaluating my friendships and my personal relationships and wondering, like, am I asking for too much from my friends and the people around me? Because from my perspective, it feels like, I want them to be patient with me. I want them to be understanding. And it seems like a natural thing to want in a friendship. But when you put yourself in the other person's shoes, you start to wonder, do they feel like I'm asking too much? Am I draining them? Because I think we don't think about that often. We think about how we feel in friendships. But I think I've had to be very honest and I've had to realize that my mood swings do negatively affect my interpersonal relationships. And I'm really thankful for the people who understand and who, you know, they're very, very patient and they're by my side. But I'm learning that there's only so much you can ask for, like you said. Um, So I think it's a difficult question to answer how much grace you can have, because it really does depend on each relationship. And in fact, it depends on each day because, you know, everybody has good days and bad days. And I might be having a good day and you're having a really bad day. So it's a tough question of where do we meet each other in the middle? So I think it's a delicate balance of understanding yourself, understanding your friend. For me, understanding my mood swings and what causes them and understanding how it impacts another person. Because when you're in your head all the time, you just think of what's going on in your own mind and you don't think of how it's affecting the people around you. So it's a balance that I probably haven't found yet, (laughs) but I'm still trying to find it.
0: Right. And I imagine that that, creates this interesting relationship with guilt.
1: Yes. Yes, I feel that way because I feel as well that whereas I expect people to be there for me, I've started to realize that maybe I'm not always as available as my friends would need me to be. So when I'm having a really bad day or when I'm really tired or going through something, maybe I maybe I miss the signal that my friend is needing something more from me that i'm just not ready to give at that point in time so yeah
0: okay well i don't know i to be honest this friendship that i lost even using the word lost is kind of interesting because losses (laughs) it's not to say that things were like worse because we're no longer friends um but it it was a very sudden kind of okay we're not friends anymore you know moments that led me to have to process a lot um, and I don't know I just think it's important to kind of highlight like on the other side that I I believe that anybody that cares about somebody with PCOS and that knows that like knows what they're kind of working against for lack of better words mm-hmm. and there is a lot of processing I mean I do I do remember thinking a lot about what I felt like was unfair to me and but what I felt like was unfair to her and not knowing how mm. to manage that and, and not even knowing how to have the conversation because I never even knew when was the right time to have the conversation. And I and I really feel like I tried to have the conversation the best way that I knew how but it just didn't work out. And I don't know, I think sometimes I, I still hope to like have another conversation because I don't think that she knows. It felt difficult because I feel like if I would have said this is how often I have moments when I felt upset but didn't like verbalize it, it's almost telling the person, this is how difficult you are, <laughs> you know? So I almost can't even highlight that without making the person feel bad. Um, but yeah, it, it is a an interesting kind of like push and pull on both sides. In your blog where you were talking about uh PCOS, you highlighted your relationship with fertility and mm-hmm. the battles that causes. And so I-, I think like a very obvious question is, you know, what is it like to manage wondering if you'll ever get the opportunity to be a parent? But an even deeper question that I think tends to tends to go like under the radar is how does that impact your relationship with your womanhood and your femininity? Because I feel like the ability to bear a child is a huge part of how we define womanhood. And so if we feel like we might be denied that without it being a choice, it causes into question like our worth, and that even comes up in, you know, dating. So can you highlight for me that aspect of it, like what it means as a woman to question your fertility?
1: Okay. We're going very deep here. Okay. I like it. <laughs> um, I think it's a very strange thing because I've, I had never ever in my life before thought about the possibility of not being able to have kids. I think because you just go through life and it almost seems like a natural thing that someday you're just going to be a mother and what was really difficult was that the same day that I got diagnosed in the middle of that same doctor's appointment, the doctor just casually asked whether I would need fertility drugs. And that caught me really off guard because I wasn't, I didn't even know that that would have been a side effect. So to just be asked very casually, do I think I need fertility drugs? That was like, wow, this is a lot to process here. And I think it sent me into a depressed spiral for months. I, I think I just focused on that one aspect a lot because it was something that I was not prepared to deal with because I had been battling the other side effects like the weight gain and the fatigue and these things and the hair growth. I was used to them in a sense, even before I had been diagnosed and I had read up a lot about PCOS. So I understood what was happening there, but the possibility of not being able to have children. I think it really just took me off guard. And I think as well, you know, I'm at that age. I'm 27 now. I was about 25, 26 when I got diagnosed. It's about the age where you start feeling like, you know, the clock is ticking a little bit and you kind of want to explore that side of you. So I took it really hard, but now I'm coming to terms with it. I think I'm okay with it now because I'm not in that place right now where I think I want to have kids right now. But I know that when the time comes and I'm going to be in a very serious relationship and I would start thinking about kids, that that's going to be a very, very difficult journey to go through with a partner and having him understand everything. So, I mean, I'm hoping I have a very understanding and supportive person when the time comes. But I guess it's also the fear of not knowing, because I guess if I knew for sure whether I will definitely have fertility issues, and prepare myself for it. Or whether I knew that I won't have issues, I'd be happy. But I think it's just the hanging in the balance thing that's really difficult for me. That I'm probably only going to find out what the answer is when the time comes where I want children. And I think that's going to be very difficult to deal with. Okay. But you asked as well about the womanhood thing. I think... For me I don't think I personally have ever defined myself in that way like I I understand that there's that deep connection and I think society definitely creates that expectation but for me I don't think I've ever based my womanhood on the idea of children but I understand that there will be questions soon probably when I get older and everybody's going to be like, all your friends are having kids, all your siblings are having kids. What are you doing? So I'm definitely going to have to prepare myself for those questions.
0: Hmm. Have you defined for yourself that when you are like on the dating scene, at what point is the time to introduce that dating you comes with this package? Like, when do you talk about that?
1: If you're referring to the fertility issues specifically, yeah. I feel like that's something that I would have to leave for when I'm certain that this is definitely long-term and that this is the person that I want to have that level of relationship with. Because, you know, in your 20s, you're still dating and still, you know, kind of finding yourself and finding your partner. But I think for me to have that kind of conversation with somebody, it would definitely not be an off-the-bat thing. It would just be when I'm secure in our relationship and I understand that we can have this discussion. And I guess also when I have a sense of what the what my partner would want from a relationship as well.
0: There are some that would argue like that that might not be fair to a potential partner. What would you say to them?
1: True, I would definitely understand where it comes from, but I also feel like it's not fair to me to have to put that out on the table very early in a relationship, especially since I don't know for a fact that fertility will be a problem. I think if I knew for a fact that it would be a problem, I might have that conversation earlier in a relationship. But I think it's difficult to tell somebody, hey, we're riding this little wave and we're having a good time together. And there might be a possibility in the future that I might not be able to give you kids. I feel like it's a very big boulder to just throw in a relationship it's a very big what-if and a very big, you know, uncertainty. Mm.
0: So there was a particular line in your blog that stood out to me. It's, um, I don't know if I will ever lose weight and go back to the body that feels like it actually belongs to me. And that, it struck me because it made me wonder the extent with which you feel capable of loving yourself
1: yeah I think for me the battle with my weight is particularly difficult because um a couple of years ago I'd say maybe 10 years ago I actually used to be a model so I was used to being very very small it wasn't for modeling I was always just a very tiny person so I would actually struggle to be 110 pounds (laughs) that's how small I was And being a model and being like in that spotlight and everybody kind of seeing you and knowing you to have a specific body type. And I would do a lot of swimsuits, music videos, runway shows and photos, everything. So people were very used to me looking a specific way. And then I think when the weight gain happened, it happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. So it didn't feel like there was very much time for people to get used to it or for me to get used to it. It just felt like I woke up one day and I was huge. Mm. And I think because of me being, well, previously being a model, because I had kind of graduated out of modeling around that time, thankfully. But people hadn't really left the idea of me as a model behind yet. Mm-hmm. So I'd get people coming up to me and asking me very rude questions. Like, um, how are you going to model still if you've gained all that weight? So you know, like, um, you don't plan to model anymore. What are you doing? Like, why are you letting yourself gain so much weight? And I think that was a long time ago, so I had no idea what PCOS was. And I think people don't speak about these things, so I couldn't even begin to put a name to it or to imagine what it was or to even Google my symptoms because I just thought I was getting fat. So I didn't think about it too much. But I had to answer these very, very uncomfortable questions. And looking back, I don't think I owed anybody these explanations, but Mm -hmm. people tend to be very rude. And since then, I've had this very difficult relationship with my weight because I've kind of always felt that this is not my body because I know myself to be so tiny. And whereas I wouldn't have minded getting a little bit of weight, I just feel like my body, I never feel comfortable in my body. And it's not only a mental thing, it's a physical thing as well because I tend to have really bad back pain, really bad pain in my knees and my feet. And I understand that it comes from my body carrying around way more weight than it's used to, Mm -hmm. especially for me being a short, small framed person. Mm -hmm. But on the mental health side of it as well, I feel like I'm still really struggling to accept my body. Um, (laughs) I think saying love to love my body seems almost far fetched at this point. Because I'm still working on accepting it. So I don't think I've even gotten to the point of learning to love it yet. And I think because I always think to myself that I will lose the weight, I haven't gotten to the point where I say to myself, you know what, this is your body, love it, embrace it, enjoy it. Because I still think I'm constantly chasing after a next exercise plan or chasing after the time that I think I'll lose the weight.
0: Right. (laughs) Is we also live in a time where, like, there's this huge, like, body positivity culture that almost feels like pressure. I don't know. I can speak for myself. Like, my weight has fluctuated and I feel like I'm not allowed to feel negative things about my body without it being, like, I don't know. I don't love myself. And I just feel like sometimes it's good to not settle for like a body that I don't like and I don't know I want to give myself permission to feel like you know what I don't like this and I want to be like diligent about having a relationship with my body where like I'm doing things to feel better about what I see um and not just like accept it so I I feel like the world today can also almost make it harder because it's like on the one hand there's a lot of negative feedback because you're gaining weight and then there's also this like body positivity like accept yourself as you are and i don't know it's there's like an emotional experience where you get to feel a little bit of self-esteem like Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily define you you know that you're Mm -hmm. struggling in that regard
1: that's true and i think for me as well being working in tv It's very difficult because I'm on camera almost every day. Mm. So I feel like I'm so conscious of how my body looks, especially my belly. Mm. You know, most women struggle with that belly fat. And I think (laughs) it tends to be a lot worse for women with PCOS because that's where you gain most of your weight. So for me, every time I go on camera, I spend like those five minutes checking and making sure nothing looks like it's bulging out anywhere. And nothing looks very weird. And it's at the stage where people I work with are very much aware of it. So my cameramen, the guys who work in my broadcast department, they know once I come on that I want to see myself and I want to know what I look like and I'm going to be tucking this in and pulling this down. And they're really supportive. I'll give them that, especially for men, you know. Sometimes you think men might not understand these little things, but they've always been very attentive and very helpful in telling me, you know, like, I'll give you that different angle. I'll zoom out a little bit more, you know. So I'm very thankful for that.
0: That's awesome. I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about the experience of not being able to diagnose what's wrong with you. I'm very curious about what that time period has taught you about medical practices, right? So when you know that something is wrong with you, you know something's not right, they're not able to find it or define it. What what did that teach you about like relationships with doctors, how they communicate with you when you feel like, you know, something, but they can't pinpoint it?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I always I think I got a sense that something was wrong with my body way before any doctor could pinpoint it. So around 2014, I'd say I started feeling like something was definitely off, especially for me. The irregular periods was a sign. That was the biggest sign Mm -hmm. because I'd always had a very regular cycle. And then all of a sudden I would go two, three, four months without having any type of period whatsoever. So for me, that was very scary. And around 2015, I moved to the UK for school and that was a very big Culture shock, a very emotional time. It was very exhausting as well. And I started going to the university medical center and I would tell the doctors and the nurses that I'm not getting my period and it's concerning me. And they would constantly tell me it's stress. Like everybody would just say, Oh, you're just stressed and you know, you're having a hard time adjusting and you're going for school. And some of them would tell me, Oh, if you go home for summer, maybe your body would regulate itself or it could be a difference in the climate and all of these things. And I was just so confused because I felt like, yes, stress could have this impact, but it just felt like something was so off with my body. And I think that's why it's so important to understand your body and trust yourself. Because I think if I had just listened to those doctors, I probably still would not know what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I'd just be sitting there thinking it's stress, but I don't know how I found out about PCOS. I don't know what it was that I saw or that I read. But when I read it, it completely made sense. Everything added up. Every single symptom that was described was what I was battling with. So it's almost like I immediately knew that's what I have. So um, I moved back to St. Lucia in 2018. I kind of just didn't think about it for a while. Um, I got used to not having regular periods. I got kind of used to battling the weight gain, etc. And then eventually, I started reading more and more about PCOS and trying to see what I could do to help myself. And in reading, I learned that there are a lot of more difficult medical complications that come with it. So whereas I could manage the fatigue and manage the weight gain on my own, Um, I learned that there's specific side effects that come from not having a period for an extended time. Mm. So that's when I decided, you know what, I probably need to go to a doctor and get this diagnosed and figure out what to do. And for me, I went to a doctor and I told her straight up that I think I have PCOS. I think I have all the symptoms and side effects. So I need to be diagnosed so I could know what's going on with me. And she diagnosed me. She did um, an ultrasound and she said, yeah, based on the different factors based on my weight gain, based on what she was seeing in the ultrasound, she could say that I do have PCOS. But I think for a lot of women, you kind of get tired of being told by doctors that everything is fine when you know your body and you know that everything's not fine. Mm-hmm. And I think I was lucky to get diagnosed fairly early because I know some people who say that they go to doctors and they say that they think they have PCOS and they don't get a diagnosis. So I think I'm one of the lucky ones. Oh, wow.
0: Um, I have a friend that has, my best friend actually has endometriosis, which is another, um, you know, reproductive health concern. And so she kind of had a similar, similar issues of, you know, not being able to get diagnosed. Um, And so I I was kind of like thinking about her and drawing the parallels with you and thinking about how much of this might be tied into the culture of reproductive health um, and the lack of knowledge that women get uh, as it relates to our bodies. And so um, I'm curious if this has done anything for you as far as like becoming more, just like politically opinionated about like reproductive health issues.
1: Um, For me, battling with PCOS and reproductive issues It's kind of opened my eyes to how very taboo these discussions are in St. Lucia and many other Caribbean places as well. And I feel like, funny enough, I did a live show once about reproductive issues where I spoke to somebody in the medical field and we were talking a lot about how women often don't know what's going on with their bodies because we don't talk to each other Mm. about the things we go through. So for me, battling with the pain and with the very irregular aspects of my menstrual flow, I wish that I had felt more empowered and more comfortable speaking about it, because I would have probably realized that something was wrong with me very early on. Um, And I think as women, we tend to think we have to bear the pain of Mm. menstrual cycles. And we just think as terrible as it is, as much as I want to scream and throw myself on the floor. This is a part of being a woman and I have to bear it. And I think we have to be very honest with other women and tell them, you know, there's a level of pain that's not normal and you know your body. So there's a level of pain where you need to feel, I need to go get this checked. I need to go to a doctor. I need to know what's wrong with me. But also you asked me about becoming more aware, more conscious of issues. And I think for me, I would say, there's a lot of issues around women's reproductive health in San Lucia. I think that I think because of cultural stereotypes, we keep these things very undercover and very, it's almost taboo to talk about your period. It's almost taboo to talk about mm. not having a period. And also, especially as a young girl, because I think for me, I'm old enough to battle these things, but I think what it could be like for very young girls who have very irregular periods and they feel scared going to their mom or going to an older sister, because the obvious assumption will be, are you pregnant? Right, right. So there's a fear of going to your mother or sister and saying, I haven't had a period in four months. So <laughs> I think that's one of the things I wish that there'll be a lot more conversations around these things. So young girls out there could hear somebody talking about their struggles with PCOS or other reproductive issues, and that they could feel empowered to start these conversations themselves. Because there are a few groups in St. Lucia I know of who are trying to do that awareness and trying to create like that safe space for women and girls. But I feel like these are on the level of specific groups doing their thing by themselves. And I don't think on a national level that there is a specific attention to that kind of thing. Like you don't hear people in the health department or you don't hear your minister of health or your minister of gender affairs being vocal about women's reproductive issues. Because I've been in the news for more than two years and I do not recall any female politician or any female policymaker saying anything strong or anything honest and open about women's reproductive health Mm -hmm. or anything about, you know, services that they're working on or about budgetary allocations for improving these things. I have never heard a whisper about anything like that. So I think it kind of really highlights for me that on the national level, there's not much of an emphasis on women's reproductive health.
0: Right. I mean, it's funny. I I had considered the the political component of like reproductive health, but I hadn't considered the interpersonal aspect because I'm sitting here, I'm remembering now, like, I don't know when I started using tampons or like I just did. Right. I was, I remember specifically I was on a cruise Uh, I knew that I was gonna get my period on it. I obviously didn't wanna like walk around with a pad, so I was using a tampon, but like I had never talked to my mom about tampons. And like my mother, being the old school Haitian that she is, her belief is that you can only use tampons if you've been sexually active. So she saw like the applicator in the trash and like it was not a good day for me you know and and it's funny because like it's it's very possible that i could i was like not even you know who better to teach me even how to use a a tampon and how to insert an applicator properly than my mother and instead what was i probably relying on equally uninformed uh, like girls in my grade that to like teach me these things um if i even trusted them enough to do that right uh, sure. So, yeah, that, there's a, that interpersonal component is huge as far as just recognizing what's normal and taking away the shame surrounding these topics. So what would you tell me? Like, again, I told you I have a best friend that has endometriosis, which while it's a different condition, it's within mm-hmm. the same family of as somebody struggling with like chronic pain, fatigue mm-hmm. in our daily life as it relates to reproductive issues. So what would you tell me? to help me understand better and like be a better friend to her?
1: I think the first thing would be honesty and communication. Like just with every other relationship, being very honest when you feel like your friend is, especially you mentioned the aspect of the mood swings for people with PCOS. Um, I would say be patient, yes, but also be open. Like don't be afraid to stay to your friend I feel like I don't like how you're treating me right now because we tend to get, like I said, we get so caught up in our own heads and if I'm having a very bad day and I'm putting that off on my friend, I think it's completely okay for your friend to say, I don't really like how you're treating me like right now. I'm here for you, but I'm going to take myself out of this space for a little bit because it's not good for my own mental health, but I'm here. If you need me, I'm always around. And I think also I would say, Educate yourself as much as you can, like, you know, read up about what your friend is battling as much as you can so that you yourself have an idea of what it's like. I think for people who go through these issues, one of the most important things is being heard and seen and understood. So even if it's just you being able to have a conversation with your friend and showing that you understand what she's saying, it's very encouraging in itself because a lot of times when you talk about PCOS and people don't understand what you're saying, you feel like you're overreacting or you feel like you sound like you're just complaining. Mm-hmm. So if you have a friend who's informed and who could say to you, yeah, I read that you go through fatigue and you know, what that, what's that like? And you open that dialogue with your friend. It is so, so important And I think that's something that would be definitely be appreciated.
0: Okay. I'll do that. (laughs) Thanks. Amani, I am so, so, so grateful for your presence on this podcast. Thank you very much for coming and being transparent and being open.
1: Thank you for having me. Um, In closing, I think I would just want to like just send a message to women out there who go through these kind of things. I think my number one message would be don't be too hard on yourself Mm. because I I battled with that for a very long time whereas I was already my body was already going through so much and my mind was already going through so much and I was adding another element of pressure by being ridiculously hard on myself by trying to force myself to have energy or force myself to be in a good mood and go out with my friends because I felt like I had to don't do that to yourself like be patient with yourself and Give yourself the grace that you would give other people. Mm-hmm. Be patient with yourself just as you would
0: with other people. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. A discourse exploring the impact long-term physical health issues have on an emerging young woman. What stood out to me about this conversation was the reminder of how important it is for us women to normalize talking about the unique experiences our bodies go through. There's nothing shameful about menstruation, vaginal discharge, breast milk, menopause, ovulation, or any other process that occurs with our bodies. Thank you to Amani for taking time out of her extremely busy schedule to talk to me. Be blessed and remember, Real talk leads to real understanding.